uh, I pastor a church called I-5 City in Baltimore and started the church in 2012 with an idea that God was calling us to have a diverse church. Uh, and so I get a chance to travel and preach on diversity. I'm not going to preach on diversity tonight, but uh, I, I love what I'm seeing here at your church. I love the, the, the ethnic diversity and the age diversity and the socioeconomic diversity. And, and I believe that when God sees unity, he releases suddenlies. And, and, and I, like to, I like to just encourage you, I tell our church, because, you know, I, I wish I could take some white people home in my suitcase because we need some white folks on our stage. Come on, somebody. Maybe we're going to do a swap, you know, a church swap. Come on, somebody. And, uh, and uh, y'all just have a good church. I love this church. I was videoing. I was showing my wife, and she's like, I'm trying to go to sleep. I said, but look at this church. And this is awesome. And, and I just want to encourage you uh, that your biggest blessing is, is right beyond the reach of your comfort zone. Uh -huh. It's right beyond the reach of your comfort zone. In fact, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I feel the Spirit of the Lord right here. It says that when the Spirit of the Lord came upon us, he empowered us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. The word uttermost in the Greek is a word eschatos, which means time, space, and rank. Which means your anointing, that your reach is beyond your time, the people that you spend the least amount of time with space the people that are furthest from you and rank the people that are last on your list and what you're going to do on Saturday is when you serve you're going to your eshatos you're going beyond your comfort zone to serve the city come on somebody because this isn't church church doesn't start when service starts church starts when service is over I don't go to church. I am the church. When I go to work, the church shows up. When I'm in traffic, the church is in traffic. When I'm at the mall, the church is at the mall. Come on, somebody. I am the church. I am the freeing message and the power of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't go to church. I am the church. So I'm thinking about this, that when Jesus had a conversation with his disciples and he starts asking questions, he says, who do men say that I am? And I like to make it down in the urban version. What's the word on the street about me? And they start saying what some say. Some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist and some say you're a prophet. And, and Jesus says, no, what do you say? And Peter the flunky, Peter the one who was always missing Jesus, Peter the one who was walking on water and sank. You know what? Peter encourages me because it lets me know that God can use somebody who faked on him in other seasons. Come on, somebody. Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter has a revelation. And some of us have too much information that we can't get a revelation. But God is calling us to get a revelation of who he is. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. And on that revelation, I will build my ecclesia, my church. Now, when Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, I don't see a construction company show up. I don't see blueprints show up. I don't see a worship team show up. You see, Peter, Jesus wasn't building Peter something for Peter to go to once a week. He was building something for Peter to be every single day. You are the church. When you show up, healing shows up. When you show up, freedom shows up. When you show up, breakthrough shows up. And that's what we do at I-5 City. The letter I stands for impact. And Jesus says, 
in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, he's, he's, he's depicting judgment day. And he says this, when you did it for the least of these, you've done it unto me. What you're doing on Saturday is you're doing it to the least of these. And he says, if you, when you did it to the least of these, you're doing it unto me. And he goes on to say, he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick in prison, you cared for me. And that's where we find the vision of our church in Baltimore. Uh, uh, I-5 City, we're going to impact the world in food, water, shelter, clothing, and care. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe, I don't believe that the church does outreach. I believe the church is an outreach. I like to say it this way at our, at our church. I say, we're not a church that does outreach. We're an outreach powered by a church. And so we serve the city and we have homeless people that we pick up that come to church and on, at, their, at our 1230 service and we have shower units that we go out and give people that need to be have a shower to get dignified and and we served the city, and this Easter we served all of the first responders, all of those who serve other people, and we served and we showed up in, in our mobile food trucks and we cooked meals for police officers and meals for, for 1,400 hospital workers. And, and why am I saying this? Because what you're going to do on, on you know, this love week is you're loving on people, right? Watch this. It's amazing that God can meet people through you saying hello. It's amazing. I know you want something deep that God can do something for you giving out a bottle of water. What I have come to find out is meeting someone's need, that that need is seed to salvation. So I want to encourage you to get involved in Love Week. Amen? Amen. Let's preach this word. I'm, I'm pumped about this. And, and uh, thank you, man. Y'all are amazing. And I'm going to bring y'all back at, at point two. We're going to come back at point two, and we're going to go for it, okay? So y'all just ready to push me. We're going to have church. Yes, you got a black preacher. I'm going to ask you to talk to your neighbor. Come on, somebody. We might have a fish fry right after church. As a PK, I've had many responsibilities in church. I grew up a PK, and yes, I was this, you know, statistic PK. I was out there. I was wild, and it was amazing at the time. Come on, somebody. Didn't work out long term, but. I served in so many different roles in our church, and I remember literally showing up, you know, as a PK, peeling potatoes at a women's ministry to, to you know, being the janitor, to being security. I loved being security because then you got to beat people up for free. <laughs> and, and, and I remember uh, I was also the worship leader, and, and so I was a worship leader who led worship from the drums. Come on, somebody. I had that Janet Jackson mic on. Come on, with that big ball right in front of it, that poof that just blocked your entire mouth. And. And, and also my executive pastor, who's my executive pastor today, who we've been friends with for over 25 years, he, he was on the worship team, but he had just gotten saved. Actually, he was just hustling on the street. Come on, somebody. I, I love how God will redeem a CEO on the street and make him a CEO in the church. Come on, somebody. And he was our keyboard player, one of our worship leaders, and church started at 8 o'clock, and, and, you know, we had to get there for call time. And he was, he, was, he was always late, but this time he was really late. Come on, somebody. So he's supposed to be there at 7 for call time. No, at 7.15, no Steve, 7.30, no Steve, 7.45, no Steve. I'm sending ungodly text to Steve at that moment with an old flip phone. Now, y'all know, if y'all, anybody had an old flip phone, it'd take you an hour to send a text. 
you had to go through every letter several. Then if you messed up, it was like you lost your whole salvation. Like, dude, where are you? No, Steve, 8 o'clock. No, Steve, 8, 10, acapella worship. No, Steve. I'm mad. Come on, somebody. 8.30, no Steve, 9 o'clock, no Steve, service is over at 10, no Steve, 12, no Steve, no phone call, no text. Did Steve die? Where in the world? As a matter of fact, Steve better be dead. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Sunday night, I go to bed, no Steve, I got a text in the morning from Steve, bro, you're going to kill me. I said, call me, you're right. Matter of fact, not only will I kill you, you're fired. I'm joking. So I said, dude, where were you? What happened? And he starts explaining. He says, dude, I was on my way to church. I got pulled over for speeding. Didn't realize that my license was suspended, and I was in prison. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. I was in jail. I was in prison. I got locked up. I'm like, oh, my God. And then he says, and I would have called you, but I didn't want to waste my one phone call to let you know I'd be late for church. Steve. I said, so what happened? And he said, well, once they locked me up, true story. He said, they put me in a holding cell with a dude who was uh, uh, in for attempted homicide. I'm like, bro, we should have sang Break Every Chain that Sunday morning, bro. <laughs> so in there, and I said, so what did you do? He said, I just act hard, you know. Dude asked me, what I'm in, what are you in for? He was like, well, you know, I beat these fools down. And, you know, I got locked up. I took on, like, ten of them. Steve's just lying. Come on, somebody. Because because of who he was locked up to or with. I said, so what happened when you got out? He said, man, I just sprinted out of there. I just got out of there. I could not wait to get out of jail. I could not wait to get out of prison. And that brings me to my thought tonight. It's crazy how even worship leaders can end up in an inner prison. It's crazy how church leaders can end up in an inner prison, and that's exactly where we find Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. Paul, who's had an encounter with God. Paul, who's being used by God. Paul, on his second uh, missionary journey. The apostle Paul, the one who would do exploits for Jesus. The one who was anointed. The one who wrote half the Bible. Paul is in an inner prison. Isn't it crazy how you can be going through life, how you can show up to church every single Sunday and be and sing the songs of freedom, but inside you're in an emotional, internal prison? Anybody ever been locked up but free on the outside but locked up on the inside? Anybody ever had to put on a fake smile when you go to work because you don't want anybody to know the pain that you're going through and the grief that you're going through and you sing the songs, he who the sun sets free is free indeed and you sing about songs that you're not experiencing on your inside and actually you're not worshiping you're actually crying in those moments because you you want the freedom that everybody's singing about but you're locked up in a prison it says in Acts chapter 16 a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them Stripped and beaten with wooden rods. Their dignity was stripped. Felt like their purpose was stripped. 
felt like they were beaten down by life, beaten down by history, beaten down by, by people who made promises, who said, I'll be with you forever, and left you and betrayed you and lied on you. Anybody ever been locked up in an inner prison? It says they were severely beaten and they were thrown into jail. Church leaders in jail, missionaries in jail, worship leaders in jail, pastors in jail, altar workers in jail, parking lot people locked up, free on the outside, but hiding the prison on the inside. It says the jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner prison. And as I travel and as I speak and as I, and I do life with people, I'm starting to see that people have an inner prison, an inner prison of anxiety, an inner prison of depression, an inner prison of pornography, an inner prison of fear, an inner prison of doubt, an inner prison of discouragement, an inner prison of cancer, an inner prison of jealousy, an inner prison of insecurity, an inner prison of emotional issues, an inner prison of trauma, an inner prison of pain. Anybody like to be honest other than me? It says sometimes I find myself in an inner prison. Matter of fact, me and my wife are pastoring a church. <laughs> Let me put a picture of my wife up there. This, that's awesome. We'll celebrate 20 years of marriage on June the 5th. 20 years. Man, she's the luckiest girl on the planet. To get all this. I'm joking. But what you see there is a picture of freedom. See, we've been, we've been married 20 years, and only about three and a half of those years have been good. Because I was pastored in an inner prison. I was leading a church in an inner prison. I was on the plane going to preach at churches in an inner prison. I was phony in an inner prison. I had the fake facade on in an inner prison. I was a pastor leading a thriving church, jealous of the people I prayed for as they left the altar and breakthrough. And I'd go to the green room and fall on my face and cry because I didn't want to be married anymore. And I wanted a divorce. And I didn't with all the responsibility of ministry and staff and people who stabbed us in the back who said they'd be there with us forever. I found myself in an inner prison with a microphone in my hand. Because I wasn't pastoring home, I was pastoring my church, and the Holy Spirit spoke a word to me and said, you care so much about my bride, the church, but you've neglected your own bride, Irene. You got a great kids ministry, but the youth pastor is the only one that's doing ministry to your kids. Yeah, God has to talk to me that kind of way. You're punking out at home, Jimmy. I'm telling you guys, I could preach to thousands, but would come home and couldn't talk to the one that I laid beside every night. For weeks, I'd stay in hotels and come to church studying all by myself during the week and come to church on Sunday mornings to see my wife at church and not say a word and go back to the hotel. 2012 Easter, 
The week before Easter, we got into the biggest fight, and, and I remember wanting to quit, and I remember calling her and texting her and says, I don't want to be married to you anymore. I want a divorce, and, and had to preach Easter about freedom in her prison. It's crazy how you never know what's going on on the inside of somebody. You have, you have no idea the story you're sitting next to. You have no idea the pain you're sitting next to. You have no idea the inner internal prisons that people have been locked down for generations and there's generational strongholds and they're trying to break out but you keep feeling pulled by the issues of your past and pulled by the issues of, of, of what you've gone through and pulled by the enemy reminding you of who you used to be. Inner prisons. Our inner prison led to, for my wife, one glass of wine a night to soothe the pain, turn into two, turn into three every night, turn into a bottle every night, turn into two bottles of wine every night, turn into three bottles of wine every night, turn into pouring out water, hiding and putting vodka in water all over our house, turn into alcoholism, turn into fights, turn into me punching holes in the wall, turn into me thinking uh, that I'm a pastor preaching, but I'm having suicidal thoughts. What if people find out? Turned into my wife, us doing an intervention like the show intervention. Real talk with some friends and turned into me being a single dad for 45 days as she was in rehab. Turned into me taking almost a year off from our church, going through counseling, getting healed, having people speak into our lives. Oh, you thought that inner prison was just the homeless guy on the street? You thought an inner prison is just the actual guy in prison or the actual woman in prison? You thought that an inner prison was, out, was just out? No, no, no. Let me also show you what an inner prison looks like. Can you put that picture on the screen? An inner prison also looks like that. Oh, that's me at 420 pounds two years ago. Oh, there's a smile on that face, but there's pain in that heart. Oh, he's got a microphone in his hand. But his heart is broken. He could preach the gospel, but he wasn't living the gospel. That's what an inner prison, an inner prison could look like the person sitting next to you. An inner prison could look like the reflection in the mirror. But I thank God that God never leaves us at a place of bondage. God never leaves us at a place where we're locked up and locked down by the issues of life. We had a but God moment, man. And I'm telling you, when my wife came back from rehab after 45 days, she was free. She was different. I stuck it out. I could not believe it. And God began to turn our situation around. What the enemy meant for bad people, God can turn around for your good. Somebody, he's turning it around for you right now. He's turning it around for for your destiny. He's turning it around for your purpose. He's turning it around you. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. We celebrated three years in November of my wife being sober. Somebody ought to clap right there. 
And this September 17th, I'll celebrate two years of being free from food addiction. Amen. How many of you are tired of being locked up? Come on. How many of you are tired of the inner prison? How many of you are tired of faking it before you make it? How many of you are tired of hiding the pain that you have on the inside and hiding the issues? I'm not hiding anymore. When you expose it, the enemy has nothing to remind you of because you've already confessed it. God can't cover what you won't uncover. I'm sorry, am I preaching a little too hard? It says a mob formed quickly against Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are doing ministry. Paul and Silas are leaving Lydia's house. If you read that, I love that Lydia. Because they, they probably had a good meal. Because Lydia sounds like a church mama. <laughs> Paul and Silas are probably full. Have you ever been in church and found yourself full of the Holy Spirit? Full. And then you walk right back out and you feel like you're getting locked up in an inner prison? Paul and Silas, man, they, man, we out here doing ministry in these streets. We out here reaching people in these streets. We, 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 out, here, we out here doing the work of ministry. We out here doing the work of the Lord. And, and, but we find ourselves in an inner prison. Paul and Silas had an enemy who was following them and falsely accused them and ended up in jail. I want to get out of jail. And you ever play Monopoly? And you can't wait for that get out of jail free card. Come on, somebody. Could it be that today the Holy Spirit is giving you a get out of jail free card? Come on, somebody. If you don't quit, if you'll go around this thing one more time, how in the world did Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas at the end of this story, they escaped from prison. Let me tell you how they escaped. They didn't have an escape plan. They didn't have a knife. They didn't have a butter knife. Come on, etching out the wall, trying to get out. They escaped. Let me tell you how they escaped. Number one, if you want to escape from the inner prison that you've been in, number one, find your people. Come on, somebody. Just with a little ghetto sound, say, find your people. Just look at the person. I don't know if you can even do it, but just say, find your people. Come on, talk to the neighbor next to you. Find your peoples. Find your peoples. It says this in Acts 16, and around midnight. Somebody say midnight. It's dark at midnight. Midnight is when the boogeyman come out. Come on, y'all. Any of y'all be honest? This ain't got nothing to do with my sermon. You still don't like to hang your foot over on the edge of the bed because you're scared something's going to touch it. Any of y'all just around midnight, the boogeyman. I still do it. I'm grown. Like, I'm like, ooh, that don't feel good. I'm in a hotel. I'm like, there's spirits in here. Like, what am I doing? I'm grown. Why am I scared of the dark? Why am I? Why, I'm grown. Like, I'm a grown man. I'm 45 years old. What am I doing? Boo. <laughs> it says, and around midnight, in the dark season, and around the worst time of your life, and around midnight, and, uh, when, there's no, when you think there's nobody else around, and around midnight, 
See, when I read the scripture and I go back to weeping now as, as preachers, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Like, like we used to, that's how old school preach. Can somebody say joy? And we would shout all the place. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Right? Then we preach for like six hours. But it says, and around midnight, but weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Can I encourage you that just because it's dark outside doesn't mean it's not morning? Midnight only lasts for 60 seconds. I think you failed to forget that you're not going to be in this forever. I just think you failed to forget to read the passages of Scripture that God can part a Red Sea and he can make a way out of no way and you can speak to the mountain and the mountain will be moved. Find your people and at midnight, Paul and Silas. Somebody say Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas. Paul and Ah, oh, hey, 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 Paul. Hey. I'm definitely feeling at home now. Paul and Silas. Silas and Paul. Paul and Silas. Julia and Chad. Come on, somebody. Roman and Jimmy. Who is your and? Paul and Silas. Silas and Paul. Who are your people that will be with you and see nothing seasons? Who's got your back when nobody else got your back? That's why I love the local church because it's the local church where I find my people who will go with you. Naomi and Ruth, I'll go where you go. My God will be your God. I will not leave you. Who are your people? Who are your people when all hell is breaking loose in your life? Who are your people that'll show up, not just say, I'm praying for you? Oh, I hate that. I'm praying for you. You're definitely not, because by the lifestyle, you're not even praying for yourself. Praying for me. <laughs> praying for you, that means you hate me. You're going to lie on me. <laughs> Be careful of the people in your life that keep reminding you of your relationship status. Oh, I love you. I got your back. Well, I think if you keep telling me that, you're actually convincing yourself, not me. I just gave you all that for free. <laughs> Paul and Silas. See? My pastor has preached here before, Pastor Dino Rizzo. That's my pastor. We talk every single day. Every single day we're texting. Every single day we're talking. Every single day we're talking about how we reach more people for Jesus Christ. Every single day I'm, he's, I'm, he's holding me accountable. Every single day I'm holding him accountable. Every single day he's encouraging me. Every single day I'm encouraging him. I'm encouraging his kids. I, I, I feel called. I feel like he's a part of my assignment. He is my Silas. No, no, no. He's my Paul because Silas sounds like the black guy. So I'm the Silas and he's the Paul. I started thinking about Paul and Silas, and, and I started thinking about Paul, a chapter back, he just had a fight with Barnabas. 
Barnabas' name means encourager. Silas' name means faithful brother. Don't grieve the encourager. Don't grieve losing the encourager when God's trying to send you a faithful brother, a faithful sister. And I believe that some of us, sometimes we miss the Silas's in our lives because we're grieving the Barnabases that have left us. And we spend time, now we don't like people. Now we can't stand people. Now we don't trust people. Now they're going to do, oh, that's just what the last person did. They stabbed me in the back. Oh, the, the, I start seeing symptoms. Any of y'all ever start seeing symptoms? Come on, somebody, where you're looking over your shoulder, peeping around corners, that your mind is playing tricks on you. The Bible says, confess your sins, God, that he may forgive you. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Confess your sins to God to be forgiven. Confess your sins to people to be healed. Confess your sins to God to be forgiven. Confess your sins to people to be healed. I have come to find out that some of us are walking around forgiven but not healed because we don't like people. Mm -hmm. Your healing is through the next relationship. You, could it be that you're one person away from a breakthrough? You got to find your people. Now, see, my dad was a prison warden. My dad. Like, life was hard because we got, like, death threats and stuff to the house. Like, he's still to this day, he can't, we can't walk in Baltimore City in some areas because they, they recognize him. My dad was a prison warden, and he said that the most grave form of punishment is solitary confinement. Solitary confinement is isolation where there's no touch, where there's no encouragement, where there's no belief, where there's no words. So the Bible says that they put Paul and Silas in the inner prison. The inner prison back then would be solitary confinement today. So how in the world does Paul and Silas get out of the inner prison? Because where the enemy messed up. Where the enemy got it wrong, how Paul and Silas broke out of prison is they found each other in the midst of a see nothing season. Where the enemy messed up is he tied them together. I'm sure, come on, with hindsight bias that the enemy really wishes could go back and put them in separate prisons. Because if they were in separate prisons, they don't find encouragement. But my Bible tells me where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Give the person next to you a high five and tell them we're going through this thing together. We are better together. Don't do life alone. I got your back. I'll call you and see nothing seasons. I won't just pray for you. I'll show up. Who in your life will show up? Paul and Silas went to prison together. Paul and Silas were tied down together. Paul and Silas were beaten together. Paul and Silas, the word is together. As long as we in this together. I got y'all. That's what I like. When I do life, I don't do it halfway. I got y'all. Y'all need it. Y'all need Cousin Jimmy to come in and bring some fellas with me? I got y'all. Hmm. I don't know who this is for, but I was, my executive pastor, Steve, who's my friend today, still one of my best friends in the world, he, he runs our church. I remember him saying, hey, bro, I need you to come to the house. Because I, I, I had secrets. I wouldn't tell anybody. He says, I said, all right, cool. I said, he goes, I'm going to put on my friend hat. I'm going to take off my... My, you're not my boss right now. I'm putting my friend hat. And he said, bro, your sermons suck. You're mean. You're gaining weight. What in the world is going on? He says, I cannot cover 
what you keep covering up. That's a silence right there. Who in your life can call you to the carpet? Somebody got mad right there. Y'all heard that? <laughs> it was like, forget this church. You got to find your people. If you're going to break out of prison, you got to trust people again. You've got to love people again. I'm here to tell you that God wants to use somebody. You need some people. Come on, somebody. You need some people in your corner. You need some people on your intercessory. Some of y'all need a personal intercessor. Come on, somebody. I need people. Number two, you want to get out of your prison, find your praise. Find your people. And when you find your people, you'll find your voice. When you find your people, you'll find your praise. See, I, I, I struggle with this, with the generation that we're living in because I don't think we understand the purpose of praise. I don't think we really get that we've got to praise God. I don't think we get that, like, this generation knows how to throw a party. They know how to go crazy in the stands for LeBron James or Kevin Durant or whoever, they get crazy. They're taking shirts off. They're putting body paint. They're hollering. People that can't dance are dancing. I was at the Clippers game the other night. People who couldn't dance were dancing. But yet we come to church. And we're not celebrating somebody who can make a basket. We're celebrating somebody who rolled away the stone of the tomb and went on a three-day journey to get the keys to the kingdom to unlock your purpose. Can anybody celebrate God? Can anybody go crazy for God? Can anybody give God some praise that you've been redeemed? Come on, somebody. You've been set free. You've been liberated. You've been healed. Got to praise God. Paul and Silas, it says this, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Now, my dad being the prison warden, I've been in prison, and I don't know if you've watched a prison show, pain is loud. Suicide is loud. Those prisoners are loud. They're taunting. They're hurting. They're, they're projecting all of their issues, and it's bouncing and reverberating and reflecting off the walls. I'm here to tell you, suicide is loud. Discontentment is loud. Jealousy is loud. But it says, as Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns, it says that the prisoners were listening. What lets me know that praise will change an atmosphere. What lets me know that praise will shift some things. What lets me know that praise, when I give God praise, his presence shows up. Giving God praise is simply saying in the midst of defeat that, God, I may feel defeated, but you are a conqueror. You are mighty. Your promises are yes and amen. No weapon formed against me is going to be able to prosper. I'm here to tell you, you've got to start sowing where you're going. Start giving God praise right now for the battle that you don't even know about in the next season of your life. Look, I learned this. And let me tell y'all something. There is no better teacher than pain. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I've come to find out that a man is not measured by how tall he stands after he falls. He's measured by how low he remains 
after he stands. And I'm telling you, pain taught me some things that Bible college could never teach me. Pain taught me some things that reading scripture could never teach me. People need to be free from their prison. And the way that they get free from their prison is your testimony. So it's time for you to put down shame and pick up praise. No one's going to judge you. I tell our church, you, don't you dare judge somebody because they sin differently than you. God is calling us to love the unlovable. We want the power of his resurrection, but you can't have the power of his resurrection without the fellowship of his suffering. You've got to go through some things and see nothing seasons and get to the other side of the mountain that is in front of you. Don't quit. Don't stop. God's got a blessing for you if you'll give him some praise. says that Paul and Silas prayed and they sang hymns and I don't have time but if you read Psalm 118 it's actually called the song of halal they were singing Psalms 118 so go back and read Psalms 118 and you'll see what they were singing but it was saying that this situation ain't holding me down they were saying there is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain they were singing I'm going to the enemy's camp Come on, old school, to take back what he stole from me. I'm taking it all back. I want my joy back. I want my peace back. I want my marriage back. I want it all back. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. God does not want to give you a fragmented blessing. you getting it all back. Matter of fact, watch this. Double for your trouble. I know that's old school, but that's what I feel right now. Check it out. To the level that the enemy has been attacking me, I decided that I was going to give him double back in praise. Praise God. I praise God for y'all. This morning I got up at 4 o'clock, and I just praise God for the breakthrough that was going to happen here tonight. I praise God that I'm telling you at Easter, I went and sat in seats and I wrote down the seat numbers and I began to praise God for the salvations of those seat numbers all over that Coliseum that we had. I, I begin to just praise God for that. See, what happens is when you praise God, watch this now. When you give God praise in the midst of adversity, here's what you're doing. You're sowing where you're going. So what praise does is you start sowing celebration in this season so that you can reap victory in this season. Watch me now. In other words, when you praise God right now in 2019, you could be sending it to 2020 for your children. I'm sending, I'm telling y'all, I got teenagers. I got three teenagers. I'm praising God. Come on, somebody. I'm sending it to their future spouses because I will cut and hurt somebody. Come on, somebody. Like, don't mess with my daughters, but I'm sending praise. And what happens is, is when you send praise, you have no idea that God is working on the solution before you even know there's a problem. I dare you to get on your feet right now and give God some praise and see nothing seasons and let the enemy know that what you meant for bad, God is about to turn around for my good. Praising God. Psalm, Psalm 22.3 says that 
God inhabits the praises of his people. Let me tell you what that means. He inhabits. Somebody say inhabits. Sounds like a King James word. It is. Inhabits means habitation. If you look at the Hebrew meaning of that word, it means that God sits down. When you praise, he comes and sits down wherever you decide to praise. That means when Paul and Silas sang praises and hymns to the God, God came and sat down in prison. And when God came and sat down in prison, he says, hey, y'all, what y'all want to do about this? And they said, and suddenly, the Bible says, and suddenly there was a sound that shook the foundation of strongholds that you have been facing that have been locking you up. And when I hear that word suddenly, what it means is what I thought was going to take 30 years is going to take 30 days. What I thought was going to take 30 days will take, come on, somebody, 30 hours. What I thought was going to take 30 hours will take 30 seconds. When you give God some praise, his suddenlies show up. It tells me this, celebration leads to habitation. I said celebration leads to habitation. Habitation leads to liberation. So if you want to get set free, you got to give God praise in the prison. Give God praise before the wall comes down. Give God praise and tell him, God, you are so good. I can't believe, God, that your presence is still with me in this prison. Uh, and suddenly there was an earthquake. What I've come to find out is what praise does. It takes a hostile situation and turns it into home field advantage. Oh my God, ain't nothing better than home field advantage. I'm going on a winning streak because I got home field advantage. Ain't nothing better than home field advantage. Find your people, find your praise. Now watch this, these jokers are free. They didn't praise, chains are falling. Come on, they, they got a worship service. You know, everybody's chains, the Bible says this, that everybody's chains were loosed and everybody's doors were open. Which tells me that when I'm giving God praise, I could be breaking the chains off of the person sitting next to me. Doors can be opened up to the person sitting next to me. So listen, back in the day I said, Steve, so what happened? He said, bro, as soon as the weekend was over, I got out of there. I escaped that prayer. I didn't want that guy to beat me up, to do whatever to me. I got out of there. I said, what happened to the guy? He said, I don't know. I left. But Paul and Silas didn't do that. They didn't leave. What? Hold on. If you're free, why don't you leave? If you're free, why don't you just come to church and not be the church? If you're free, oh, I see it. Which means that just because I'm free don't mean I'm finished. Mm. Just because you're free, it's just the beginning. Here's what it says, and I'm out of your way. It says, the jailer woke up to see that the prison doors were open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. Hold on. 
Y'all got beaten. Y'all got locked up. Why are y'all still here? I, I was thinking about in Mark chapter 2, the guy, the paralyzed guy on the mat, right? He gets healed. He gets up off the mat. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 uh-uh, where you going? Pick it up. I don't want that mat. It's got pain on it. It's got scabs on it. It's got wounds on it. I've been laying on that thing my whole life. I don't want it. Jesus says, no, pick it up and put it on your shoulder and go out into the city and tell them, look what the Lord has done. In other words, he says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. In other words, he's saying that your greatest misery has the potential to be your greatest ministry if you'll stay and help other people. Paul and Silas says, we ain't going nowhere because when we showed up, you thought you were locking us down. You weren't locking us down. We came here to set you free and to change the trajectory of eternity for you. God wants to use you to set somebody else free. God wants to use you to shift the atmosphere that you are in right now. God wants to use you to do something. There's another in the fire to come on, somebody. God is with you.